0: Every week we go to the scriptures because it is there that the person and work of Christ are most clearly revealed. Preaching for us this morning is Chase Woodhouse, the newest Sojourn Houston church planting resident. He preached for us this Sunday after New Year's. And so this is his second time preaching for us this month, actually. Chase, we're so glad that you're here. Um, And he's preparing to plant a church on the southwest side of Houston. If you'd come up, Chase, um, I'd like to pray for you before reading the scripture. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Chase. Thank you for his faithfulness, for what you're doing in and through him. Lord, I pray that you bless him with your particular presence this morning as he preaches God's word to us. And I pray, Lord, just a particular blessing over his ministry in the southwest side of Houston. Um, I pray that you would empower him, go, go before him, Lord. Um, lead the way for him into new relationships with people who are whose names are written in the book of life and who don't know it yet. So I pray that you would go before him, that you'd empower him, that you'd help him to demonstrate and speak your love for all the people who he comes across. Um, and I pray that you would empower him um, as he uh, begins and continues to, to build towards planting this church in the southwest side. We pray your blessing over him and that you would open our hearts to hear, uh, hear what you would say to us as Chase breaches. pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Hear the word of the Lord. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, how they entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. The Pharisees went out immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Peace be with you. Uh, Before I get started, I have to let you know I got a, a wife that's pregnant right now. She's on the way to a doctor to get checked up on everything, so if you don't mind praying for her as I go into preaching. She seems fine, Uh, she's just gonna go get checked out. Uh, We're pregnant probably about 31 weeks, 30, man, I don't know, somewhere in there. So if you would just join me in praying, Uh, it's a little hard to be up here and not be distracted, Um, but the Lord knows and the Lord sees, and you know, we sang Psalm 42. And um, I remember recently hearing a sermon by uh, Dr. Charlie Dates, I don't know if you know him, if you don't, go listen. But there was one point he was talking about a deer. And he started to research about deer and, you know, learn about them and whatnot. And he talked about that when deer are being hunted or pursued by predators, they start panting. And they pant. And that's how the predators hear them. And the predators can follow them. And so what the deer then tries to do when it's panting is it goes for the water. And in the water, it sticks his head in the water, and the panting stops, and the predator can no longer hear him. And so, what the Lord is saying in Psalm 42 is that He is our water. When the predators are pursuing us, when life throws a curveball at us, just like it did with me this morning, the Lord is the water. And if we can just get to the water, we will find rest for our souls. Amen? Amen. With that, I want to give you just a little bit of an introduction about who I am. Uh, so I'm Chase. Uh, I've been in Southwest Houston now for 10 years. Um, my wife and I have been married for eight. We've got two little girls, Selah, who is almost five. She would like me to tell you that she's almost five. And uh, Joy, who is two and a half. And like I said earlier, we're pregnant with our third, a son. And uh, we will be planting in Southwest Houston. And uh, last time I went into a longer spiel about Southwest Houston and who we are, and normally I was going to stay in the fellowship hall today so we could talk after if you were interested, but due to circumstances I will be leaving. Um, But I do want to share with you that I am asking each and every one of you to consider selling your homes and moving into Southwest Houston. Sojourn Heights has a rich, I'm just being honest, I'm shooting my shot here, okay? So Sojourn Heights has a rich, rich history of planting churches that plant churches. And in Southwest Houston, we have a unique opportunity not just to plant a church, but to plant a church that then goes out and plants churches, maybe all over the world. Because Southwest Houston is so international, we have the unique opportunity to share the gospel with people that actually have never heard the name of Jesus before. And they may be so compelled by the Lord to then go out and plant churches among their people. So I am asking that each and every one of you ask the Lord. Nothing wrong with asking him. You may not like his answer, but the safest place for you is in the will of the Lord, not in your own. I'm not saying everybody has to sell their house, but I'm just saying. Uh, And then also we are uh, raising support. And so I've left some documents uh, on the table that have information about who we are and how to give. Um, If you would like to take that. If there's only one left, just take a picture of it. I've only printed like 35, and there's a lot more than 35 people here. Um, But um, we are raising financial support, and so I would love to ask you to consider giving. Uh, We also have a prayer email we send out once a month. There's a QR code code on the document, and so you can uh, click that with your camera and, and sign up and receive our prayer emails. So with all that said, let's jump into Mark chapter 2. I want to start by sharing another story. Uh, a couple years ago, there was a 96-year-old man who got a ticket for speeding in a school zone. And the 96-year-old man decided to take this ticket all the way to the court. If somebody's a lawyer in here, if I get something wrong, just... You know, let it go. Um, But this 96-year-old man goes to the court, and he sits before the judge. And, you know, he he takes a little bit to get there, you know, because he's old. And he sits down, and and the judge says, "Um, sir, do you know why you're here? You know, you got a ticket for speeding in a school zone. And the older man, he couldn't hear him, bless his heart. So the judge repeated it. And then he said, you know, judge, I wasn't speeding. I'm 96 years old, and I hate driving. I only drive when I have to. You see, my son is mentally handicapped, and he needs me to take him to the doctor every two weeks for blood work because he has cancer. So the judge, hearing this story and seeing this man, is moved to compassion. He sees this man, he sees that he's frail, he sees that he is just trying to be a good father, and he tells him, sir, You are a good man, and your little boy needs help, and daddy is still taking care of him. I'm waving the ticket. You're free to go. May God bless you both with good health." The judge saw the need and was moved to compassion. This morning, there are two groups of people. One first story is a group of people. The second is a single man who needs compassion. And yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time, offer no such compassion whatsoever. And it may be easy for us to judge the Pharisees and to think, how could they do this? But I hope to this morning explore the idea that maybe some of us in here have that same heart. And then we're going to offer the remedy, which is Jesus. And so first let's dive in, and I want to talk about um, the, the groups of people that need help. The first group is, 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 are the disciples. I almost said Pharisees. I'm going to do that at some point. I'm going to get the disciples and Pharisees mix, mix, mixed up, so bear with me. But the disciples are in need. How do we know this? Well, it's the Sabbath, and they're going through a grain field and plucking grains to eat. They're not going out and baking a meal, you know, bread or creating a whole meal. They're going through fields to eat. Now here in the United States, we look at that and we're like, uh, you don't go to somebody's field and pluck their harvest. You don't do that at all. But in the law of the Lord, there was a provision that if you were hungry, if you had nothing to eat, you could go into your neighbor's field and pluck the grains and eat it. So what does this show about the disciples? It shows that they are hungry It's the Sabbath. They are supposed to be resting, enjoying the provision from God and resting in His sovereignty. And the disciples can't because they don't have any food to eat. They are in need. And then we see in the next scene, uh, in the synagogue, there's a man that comes with a withered hand. The hand is unable to be used. And he comes to worship and pray to the Lord. Now, we know nothing about this man. We don't even know his name. But here's what we do know based on the Jewish culture at that time. He was an outcast and very possibly considered to be a sinner. Now, how do we know this? Well, in John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who had been blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, hey, rabbi, who sinned so that this man would be born blind? Him or his parents? You see, in this culture, in this time period, if you were disabled, you were viewed as a sinner, unclean, an outcast. This hits home for me personally because I am disabled. I'm deaf. And what I want to say to anyone in here who might be disabled with me, or who's, who is maybe going through a hard time physically, and you wonder if God is scorned, scorning you, if he is angry with you, if you are being punished, Jesus responds to these disciples and he says, no, neither one of these things happened. This happened so that the glory of God may be revealed. And I wanna to say to you this morning, if you're going through a hard time right now, the Lord is near. He is not far. Your disability, your physical pain, your dark night of the soul, whatever it is, is allowed to happen by the Lord so that you might turn to him and you might find rest and peace for your souls. When I went through the the hearing loss and it was very difficult for a time, what I found was not that I got healed. Though I do believe that the Lord can heal anyone this morning right now should he want But what I found was greater. I found healing for my soul because Jesus moved to me. The man with the withered hand is not alone because Jesus comes to him. And this morning, if you are struggling, if you are tired, if you are lonely, Jesus is moving to you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And his rod and staff will comfort you. You will not likely know why. I've never found out why. But I know that there's an anchor for my soul. Amen? So we see these two people, these two groups of people, really, that are in desperate need. And in come the Pharisees. In the first interaction, the Pharisees are going into the fields. For some reason, they're out there. I don't know why. And they see the disciples plucking grains and eating them. And they ask Jesus, <clears throat> look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, I want you to understand something about the Pharisees. In the Old Testament, there is the law of the Sabbath. You are to rust from your work on the Sabbath. But there's not a lot of details as to what that means. What happened later was that the religious leaders, including the Pharisees, created 39 categorical laws to help the people understand what they should and should not do on the Sabbath. It went so far sometimes as to say, you could not carry your child on the Sabbath. And specifically when it comes to eating, you were only to eat. You could not go out and harvest, you could not cook, you could not do anything according to their law. And so when they see the disciples going through the field, they think they're breaking the law of God when in actuality they're breaking the law of man. And I want you to notice something else too. It's very obvious the disciples are hungry and have no place to rest on the Sabbath. And they don't care. They are not moved to say, brothers, stop. Don't, don't pluck right now. If you're really concerned that they're breaking the law, say, hey, stop. I, I've got food. Come to my house. Come, sit, eat. I will make you food. The Pharisees don't even think of that. They're cold-hearted. They don't see the need. They see lawbreaker. And then it gets worse. They go into the synagogue, the place of worship, and they see a man, an outcast, a sinner, Sitting there trying to worship the Lord. And what do they do? They use him. They dehumanize him. He is an object. He is a test to test their enemy. And their enemy is Christ. And they use this man. They say, oh, I know what Jesus is going to do. He's been healing people. He's going to do that again right here. He's going to break the Sabbath. Once again, the 39 categorical laws said you could only give life-saving first aid on the Sabbath. So if I fell right now and separated my shoulder, I would not be able to set it until the next day. This is how strict they were. So when they see Jesus heal, they see him breaking their law once again. And, you know, it's really easy to look at the Pharisees and to think, man, they are lost. And I think two things are happening that have caused them to drift from the truth. One, they have taken their interpretation of the law and placed it above the actual law of God. They have added to the law and they are imposing it as the law of the Lord when it should not be. But worse yet, I think the reason why they are doing this is because ultimately, they have lost sight of who God is. They have misinterpreted altogether who the Lord is. They, when they see God, they see a God of demands. They see a God ready to pour out judgment at the moment you sin. They see a God ready to wipe people out. And they are trying desperately to be above that, to earn their way to right standing with God. And I want to say this too, and you're going to have to hear this, and I'm praying you hear this with open hearts and open minds. But I don't think the Pharisees are too far off from where we are as a country right now. When we see the Pharisees and we think, oh my gosh, how could they do this? How could they not see people Brothers and sisters, I think that this spirit is still at work here in the United States today, and it's in the church, and it's in the nation. Because what's happening right now in the church at large is there are core doctrines that we hold to, that we will never budge from. Christ died physically, he rose from the dead physically. Christ is fully God, fully man. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, that we are saved. This is where we stand. Outside of this is heresy. But then there are other doctrines that even this church we hold to and we believe and we love that are technically still open for interpretation. Other people can come to different conclusions. Baptism, right? There are different understandings of how baptism works. There are different understandings of how salvation really plays out, Arminianism and uh, Calvinism. But these doctrines that are not the core foundational doctrines, some people are using to villainize and make an enemy of anybody else who disagrees. And what we are promoting to the world at large is that Christ's church is divided, not united in his love, but we are divided. If this is in you... time to repent. But not only that, in the United States right now, if you are of a certain party, politically speaking, the other party is the enemy. The other party can do no good. The other party is totally wrong and your party is totally right. So if you see President Biden do a good thing, if you're of of the Republican Party, no, he can't do a good thing. And if you're of the Democratic Party and you watch President Trump and he did a good thing, no, he can't do a good thing. You make an enemy out of someone who disagrees with you. Do you not see that this is what the Pharisees did to Jesus? Jesus disagreed with their interpretation of the law and they made Jesus an enemy. And their hardness of heart caused them to completely miss Jesus. Brothers and sisters in this room, if you love Jesus, we cannot make an enemy out of someone of a different political party or someone of a different background. It is not allowed. We have the opportunity to see them as made in the image of God, not as an enemy. Now I say this knowing my own heart, knowing that I too am prone to this. What's the remedy? What are we to do when our hearts cause us to seek division? We run to Jesus. Jesus himself is a remedy. Jesus will help the Pharisees here, or he will try to. You see, the first thing that Jesus tries to do is he tries to help them reinterpret the law. He tries to help them to see that their interpretation of the law is off. Because when they ask him, look, why are your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He says to them, have you never read what David did? When he was on the run from Saul and and he was hungry, he and his men were probably starving. They went to the house of God and they asked for bread. And the priest said, look, there's no bread, dude. All we have is the bread of the presence. And that's an offering to the Lord that's only supposed to be eaten by the priest. And David said, look, give me that bread or we're going to die. You see, Jesus is showing them that ultimately the Sabbath was not made for man. Wait, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I get that mixed up all the time, y'all. What you saying is that the Sabbath was created to be a blessing for men. The law was given to us to do two things. Show us that we are sinners. Show us that we can never obtain perfection. But it's also to show us the life, the good life, your best life now. It comes from following the law of the Lord. It comes from pursuing this truth and, and holding fast to this idea that whatever God says is good. The Pharisees can't see this interpretation because ultimately they can't see that God is a God of mercy Jesus says to them, the Sabbath, I'm sorry, so the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. He is establishing that he is the author of the law, and therefore anything he says is the correct interpretation of the law. But in the Gospel of Matthew, in this account, when he records this, Jesus says this, and if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus, in the Gospel of Matthew and right here, is exposing the heart of God. That God is not a God of, what did I say? What was the word I said? Judgment. The God of demands. God is a God of mercy. God is love. Now, I'm not saying that God does not have judgment. But what I am saying is in his deepest hearts, God is a God of love. You see, the Pharisees have completely forgotten all of the Old Testament that says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is the water. Psalm 42, He is our hiding place, our refuge. On and on I could go. The Pharisees have completely missed this. They don't see Jesus as the God of love. They completely miss him. He's standing right in front of them. And then there's an even grander display in the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue and he pulls this man, who is an outcast, who is a sinner, and he pulls him right next to him and says, is it lawful to do good or bad on the Sabbath? Evil. Is it lawful to heal or to kill? And the Pharisees are silent. The heart that they have is that Jesus is an enemy because he doesn't agree with them. And they completely miss the God of love. And, and I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you're hearing me talk about this heart that seeks division, the heart that sees people as an enemy rather than creating the image of God, and you know deep down that you are that, that you struggle with that, can I, can I give you a gospel word here this morning? You see, when Jesus pulls the man to him, and he asked that question to the Pharisees, and they were silent. I want you to notice what Jesus felt. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. You see, Jesus, in this moment, he wants the Pharisees to see that God is love. That God is mercy. He wants them to see, hey, I am merciful. That even though you've gotten the law completely wrong, even though you put an unbearable yoke upon the people, if you would see me, you could come to me and I would heal you and I would restore you. But they don't. They don't see. Because their God is themselves. Their interpretation is right. And no one can tell them differently. And then notice what happens at the end of this chapter, of this section, not chapter. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. See, it wasn't lawful for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath, but in their minds, it was lawful for them to go out to plan to kill him. But here's the beauty of God. You see, the Pharisees... They're going out with a plot to kill him because they believe God is a God of demands and judgment. When in actuality, when that plan does happen because the Lord ordained it would happen, what it would be would be the grandest display in all of human history that God is love. It doesn't matter what they're planning because Jesus, when he dies on the cross, it is the grandest display in all of human history that love has come. That mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the gospel. This morning, if you see in your heart that you are starting to divide against people, you see your neighbors that are Democratic or your neighbors that are Republicans as enemies, if you see other people with different interpretations of Scripture as enemies, come to Jesus because you're in danger of hell. And he wants to come and heal you and bring you in. He loves you. Don't harden your heart like the Pharisees. He wants you. And then when you come to him and your heart is restored, can I show you a picture of what the church can look like? What this church right now can look like? In the early church days, I don't know when, forgive me, I didn't do enough research, but there was a Caesar that knew that the church was growing rapidly. And he knew and heard about all these Christians. And he was like, man, who are these people? I want to know. So he asked this dude, Aristides. I don't know how to say his name. I think that's how you say it. And he asked this guy to go out and to figure out, to learn about the Christians. And to bring back a report. This is what he says. Aristides. Or whatever his name is. (laughs) They love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they will fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. How did the early church become this when the Pharisees were, were like, how do, how do we get from here to here? The man Jesus, the God of the universe who came and who rescued us and who has bought us even though we do not deserve, us, deserve it and has brought us into his kingdom. And now he is creating a whole new people filled with love. And so if you see in your hearts this morning that you are seeking to divide and you don't see the Imago Dei in somebody else, come to Jesus. I thought it was going to be up there. Maybe it was. I don't know. Was it? Okay. Let's go out and be this. But it doesn't happen because you try harder. It happens because you come to Jesus. And so this morning as we come to the table and we celebrate that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ has come again, let us humble ourselves, repent of our sins, and go forth and bring the good news in the love of Jesus to the heights. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy that it follows us all the days of our life. Father, I come before you and pray for the people that are in here this morning and I pray for my own heart. Lord, we're so easily divided. We so easily seek to kill and to destroy rather than to rescue and to love. But God, you came to set us free from this. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to love you, that you would restore our hearts and fill us with a love for our neighbors. Lord, be with us. We thank you that you came to save us. In Jesus' name. Amen.